Welcome to episode 112 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. It all started because I wanted to get away for one night. My fifth wedding anniversary is in a couple weeks and we arranged to get away for a night without our children. A night without our children. Just saying that gets me so excited. Now, don't get me wrong, I love my children, but a night away with my beautiful bride? Priceless. Well, not really priceless since it just happens that our anniversary coincides with the leaf peeping season in New England and room rates doubled in just a couple of weeks. I did a bit of digging and found an affordable Airbnb listing in a great location in Portland, Maine. Booked and done, right? Nope. Got an email saying that the owner will be out of the country then and he should have blocked those dates. Well, I really wanted to be in the downtown area, so I went looking on Expedia for bed and breakfast and found one. Booked and done, right? Nope. I got a call from the owner saying that the room was already taken and should not have been available on the website. So I looked again at the hotel rates and they've gone up since I first checked. This is the point in the story when I'm feeling like the universe may be conspiring against us. I'm about to do another round of searching when I suddenly remember I have Marriott points. I did a quick search and found several Marriott properties right in the downtown area. Do I have enough points for one night, even at these astronomical prices? Yes. I booked a room downtown Portland, right on the waterfront. What's the lesson here? Well, I thought I was getting lots of no's, but it's because I hadn't gotten the right yes yet. Your challenge for this week. Is there a project you've been working on that keeps running into roadblocks? Are you feeling exasperated? I know I was. Consider that you might be seeing lots of closed doors because you're being guided to the open door that you otherwise would have missed. The benefit of having this mindset, you're always looking for opportunities rather than getting crushed by obstacles. It's amazing what you'll become aware of when you do this. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is passionate about helping others realize their full potential at work. As the founder and CEO of Lead at Any Level, She helps busy professionals develop skills in leadership, diversity, inclusion, and career management. She's the author of Network Beyond Bias, Making Diversity a Competitive Advantage for Your Career, is a ProSE Certified Change Practitioner and a professional member of the National Speakers Association. She began her career as a software developer, later moving into business analysis, systems design, consulting, and management. She has worked at small software companies, multinational corporations, and many stops in between. She's a versatile manager, having led cross-functional and global teams in both the technology and insurance industries. Please join me in welcoming Amy C. Weiniger. Hi, Robbie. Hi. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining me from your office in McCordsville, Indiana, a place that I had not heard of before. You're just outside of Indianapolis. Is that right? Yes. You might have heard of Fishers, Indiana. It's ah. one of the better known suburbs, and we're kind of on the... Uh, on the line between a couple of towns. So awesome. I never heard of McCordsville until I moved here either. <laughs> well, I'm so glad through the magic of the internet, you're able to join us. Uh, so as you know, this is a podcast about networks and, 
and leadership and you know, building strong connections. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Sure. So to me, leadership is a lot of things, but I think the most important aspect of leadership is courage. Courage to do what's right, even in the face of not being popular. Um, courage to stand up for others and make things right if they're not right, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I love your definition. And I, I know we're going to get into your book later, but boy, does it remind me of so many aspects of what you talk about in your book about stepping up. So when did you first see in yourself the potential for leadership or did someone else see it in you at a young age? Well, so I like to tell people that I'm an only child and I'm really good at it. <laughs> so I would say <laughs> that, you know, I was, I was a bossy kid, right? Like, you know, when you're a little girl and you tell people what to do, you're bossy. So I was bossy. Um, but I just wanted things to go the way I wanted them to go. Right. And as I got a little bit older, I realized, you know, maybe that that wasn't the right leadership approach. I realized that other people in the world exist, um, not for my benefit, but like all on their very own, which was news to me in my 20s. And, um, you know, as I joined the workforce, I found myself standing up for others. I'm not very good. I shouldn't say this out loud because then people are going to come to me and like, you know, badger me with things, but I'm not very good at standing up for myself. Mm. If I feel like I'm being attacked or I feel like I'm being, you know, kind of pushed back, I'll just kind of absorb it and move on. But if I see it happening to somebody else, like this aggression cannot stand, man. So I like mm. go in and, you know, and, and speak up for them and speak on their behalf or, you know, try to build coalitions around this. And I, I think the first time I really did this, I was working at a restaurant. It was the kind of restaurant where, you know, people come in and sit down and you serve. So we had, you know, host stand and, and servers and bartenders and whatever. And the, um, the younger girls worked in the hostess stand because they weren't old enough to serve. Mm -hmm. And he was a little predatory with them. And it was really, you know, they didn't know what to do because they were young. And, you know, a lot of people looked the other way and I was like, this is not okay. Like you can't make these kinds of comments to 16 year old girls. You can't make these kinds of gestures. And, and so, you know, I actually like wrote to the EEOC and asked them to step in and, Wow. And when that when that didn't work, then I wrote a letter to corporate and asked them to step in. And, you know, and I was just a server. I mean, I was making, you know, two twenty five an hour or whatever the rate was for servers, but it just it wasn't right and it needed to stop. Mm, that was clearly a leadership moment. And did you manage to to help them in the end? Yes. We got new management very quickly. That was ah, good. That's awesome. See, corporate knew these are the kinds of things they have to respond to. And that was even before this Me Too moment where it's even more consciousness have been raised about the importance of creating an environment where people can feel safe while they're working. So um, even before that kind of leadership came to you, were you the kind of kid who ran for student body or were you, I don't know, standing on the side of the, the, the playground or organizing people to like do a particular activity? Like, like how yeah. did people see you? Um, I think they saw me as bossy and mean. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I worked hard to develop my interpersonal skills later in life, but as a kid, you know, I had a few friends, but I wasn't, I wasn't running for student council or anything like that. Now in high school, I was on drill team because I loved dance and, um, you know, I did, I was captain drill team for a couple of years and, you know, that was really fun because having, you know, seeing these girls come in, they were timid and, you know, they weren't confident in the way 
you know, they weren't confident in their coordination. They weren't confident in their presentation. And, you know, by the end of the season, we would have these girls that were just powerful mm. and, yeah. um, you know, just kind of owning how awesome they were and, you know, getting them all to work together and rely on each other was so much fun. Wow. That's wonderful to be able to witness that kind of transformation. It's, it's, I'm sure influencing how you want to be later in life is to be able to have that same impact. So, so tell me a little bit about um, the work you're doing today and in particular, what do you find most rewarding about that work? So I'm sure we'll get to this, but there's in the back of the book, there's a framework for assessing um, the diversity, the breadth and depth of your network and your relationships. And I love when I sit down with somebody that I'm meeting for the first time and they say, what's your book about? And I say, hold on. And I go grab a napkin and I draw the grid with a pen. <laughs> uh-huh. And there's always this moment where I can see that they're really confident about what we're about to do. And then there's this other moment where I can see that their expectations have completely not been met about how they're answering the questions and how they're filling out this framework. And almost invariably, someone will say, whoa, I have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And I realize, like in that moment, that's like, that's a turning point for them in how they're going to go about their work and be more inclusive. Well, so one of the things I've learned as a person who has led lots of different kinds of trainings and speaking engagements is that when you're training somebody you can only train them to reach the level that they already think they're at. You can't help them get to some nirvana space that you want them to be. But I think what your assessment tool does is helps people see that gap where they think they are before they ever did the assessment. And then when they do the assessment, they realize, wait, I have like a depth in one area, but I have no breath in the other areas. Like I have no other, like in one area I'm solid. And oh, I had no idea I was this weak in these other areas. But it's really hard to ascertain that ourselves without some sort of tool like that. And this is one of the things I was most impressed about your book, because I think it's really a tangible takeaway um, that gives people, I think, a little bit of a roadmap of where they need to apply themselves. Is, is that how you've been using it with your clients and with the people who've had a chance to take this? Absolutely. So, you know, my feeling is the, the book is one part, for those who don't know, the book is one part, like diversity and inclusion, and one part networking for your career, and sort of smushed all together into this leadership narrative. And it answers the question, yeah, okay, so all of this diversity stuff is great, but what can I do about it? I'm just one person. And I didn't, that book didn't exist, so I wrote it. Um, you know, And what I found is you know, it's the most well-meaning people that are the most shocked by their results. Mm. Right. Like people who pride themselves on being champions for diversity and pride themselves on being inclusive and building inclusive teams are usually the ones with these huge gaps and they're bothered by it. And I think, well, you know, if the people who are the most well-meaning <laughs> are struggling with this, where's everybody else? Yeah. And, you know, I think I love your statement about we can only teach people to be where they think they are because I think that's exactly what this tool does is it kind of you know, it's kind of like the the cold water challenge of of networking, right? You're like, oh my goodness, you know, this is not what I thought it, what I thought I was doing, and so, um, you know, I've I've seen a lot of aha moments. I've seen a lot of people that have, you know, have said, I I have to leave now. I have to go talk to some people who are different. Mm. So, okay, what is your business case then for why somebody should have a more diverse professional network? What, why is, why is it even important? I mean, we talked about an assessment tool. Yep. What's the value prop for 
it actually being more diverse? Sure. So I'll use a, a very simple example. There is a whole lot of talk right now about uh, cryptocurrency. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're in an industry that is very high tech and very plugged into the cryptocurrency conversation, you are a little bit of a unicorn right now in, you know, in the marketplace of ideas, in the marketplace of knowledge of, of what's going on in the world. If you are not one of those people, you probably ought to be clued in, right? So if you're in an industry, let's say you're in the education industry, for example, and maybe cryptocurrency hasn't become a big deal in your industry yet. If you want to lead in that space, you need to know where your industry is going to be down the road. Mm. Right? I think it was Wayne Gretzky who, who said, you know, I don't go where the puck is. I go where the puck's going mm-hmm. or something to that effect, right? You have, to, you have to go where the future is in your industry. So if you're not connected with anybody outside your own industry, you're not going to learn anything about cryptocurrency because nobody else knows it either. And so, you know, by connecting with maybe somebody in the high tech sector or connecting with somebody in, you know, the finance sector, you're going to learn a little bit more about that. But then on the flip side, if you're somebody who knows a lot about that, you've just added a product or service to your own business and mm-hmm. your own career. Right. You've opened up an entirely new market, perhaps, that previously didn't know that this was something they wanted to know about or needed. and now they're they're like really keen to to be part of it. That's that's a great example because I think a lot of us have heard of these cryptocurrencies but aren't necessarily well versed in them or how they work or what it means or blockchain is the another great example mm-hmm. of like how does it impact me? I don't think it does. Never mind, I'll move on. But like you're saying, no, no, no. In those moments, like you have to gravitate towards the unknown, have that conversation and truly engage. Um so that you can see how it impacts you. I always think of it, I, I think you and I talked about this, but up until very recently, I was going to write a book about the importance of, of diversifying your professional network. And I decided not to, and then learned about your books. I feel relieved because I still think the book was a needed uh, asset out there in the world. And um, I'll now be able to recommend Amy's book instead. So well, thank you. Um, but I always thought it's like the, it's the edges of our network where our most innovative ideas come from. That's sort, of, sort of what you're talking about with that great example. But, and that if we live in sort of a bubble within our industry, we miss those opportunities. And, and there's usually some bridge builders that tend to do that more often. Do you have a way of thinking about those bridge builders who, I don't know, there's always some people who, who more freely seem to flow whether it's identity-based or industry-based, they are more willing to sort of like be a conduit or a translator of different worlds. Like, how do you identify those people? Because they seem like the gateway to some of these new ideas. Yeah, so, you know, I haven't researched that particular angle of this, but I think just, you know, off the top of my head, it would seem like it's the people that are the most comfortable being uncomfortable or not being the smartest in the room about everything. Right? It's people with humility to ask questions or to sit quietly in a room and listen to other people talk and just absorb. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think this is so we talk about introverts and networking and how, you know, how hard it is sometimes for introverts to network, but I think it's the introverts more often that can make these connections between things because they actually spend the time to process the information rather than jumping right into the conversation and trying to take over. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like some only children I know might do. <laughs> I'm a I'm an outgoing extrovert myself, so uh, I resemble that remark, um, <laughs> or I used to. I try not to as much, but um, but that's really interesting because I also think you just named the kind of um, ways of being that we can all aspire to. So, listening, learning, processing, humble, comfortable with the uncomfortableness, like. I feel like those are all great examples of what a new, the new leaders of today should be in addition to having that courage you spoke of earlier. Thank you. I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there's so much to know, right? And knowledge is so cheap, right? Because you can, anybody can Google. I mean, I can Google as fast as you can probably, but it's the making the connections piece Mm -hmm. that I think is, is going to be the new currency Mm -hmm. for people. and. It's, you know, if you think about it in those terms, right, it's, and I think I said this in the book, right, it's not what you know, it's what can you do and who do you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how you make connections. Yeah, that's, this always goes back to that, like, who do you know, or what do you know? And you're like, it's not those things. It's like, what can you do with what you know, and who you know? That's, that's interesting, because it, it sort of breaks up that, um yeah, that sort of yin-yang that was always a false dichotomy in some ways, because really it was always a little bit of both. And to your saying, it's sort of like, what do you do with that? So I really, I appreciate this this framework. I think a lot of people are often struggling. A lot of my clients are struggling from how to move from um, maybe a long 20, 25 year you know, career in a particular industry. And now they're moving into entrepreneurship. And so they've tried to a lot of times they think of starting from scratch and I work with them and help them realize that 80% of who they need to know they've already met and it might've been 10 years ago. So part of the way I think about diversifying a network would be if you had a great connection with someone at a job you had 10 years ago, but you haven't talked to them forever and you've both moved on to different things, that's a great person to reach out to now because you already have like that relationship history to, to work from but you're doing different things in the world today, whereas you used to like maybe sit next to each other. Um, so what do, you, what do you think about that? Do you think that would be a, a good way to sort of help people you know, start to navigate this idea of expanding their network? Oh, absolutely. And you know, I think social media is good for that too, because it's really easy to look up on LinkedIn and see where somebody is. When I was early in my career, Robbie, I was, you know, as a software developer and it was right, you know, I came into the workforce right when the Y2K you know, panic was setting in. And so, you know, there's, you know, hiring bonuses and everybody wanted you and it was great for about a year. And then, you know, there was sort of this pattern where companies would staff up and then the project would end or a bubble would burst or, you know, the world didn't come to an end on January 1st or whatever the thing was. And then they would let a bunch of people go. And this kept happening, right? There was just cycles of happening over and over again. And the first time this happened to me, you know, I was just a couple years out of college. I was six months pregnant and I was just panicked. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't understand because I'd had limited work experience. I didn't understand what my skills were that were marketable. Mm-hmm. You know, what made me valuable in the marketplace. I had no idea where to go, like who else hired people like me. Um, and I didn't know anybody in any of those places. So I think I had every right to panic. (laughs) A few years later, it happened again and again and again and again. And I kept going back to the same place of panic. And one time in particular, you know, we all got called into the room and we were told our jobs are going away for whatever reason. 
And I looked around and I realized like not everybody's panicking. Mm. Some people, you know, were on the phone with a recruiter by the end of the meeting. Some people were excited because they were going to invest their severance in the new business venture or whatever. And, you know, a, a couple of people like kind of saw it coming and already sort of had jobs lined up. And I thought, wow, well, it's so easy for them because they're not six months pregnant and they know people around town. And then I thought, oh, you know what? It's been a few years and I'm not six months pregnant anymore either. And I've worked a lot of places now, so I know quite a few people around town. And it was really easy then to start talking to people and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be out of here in six months. Where should I go next? Mm-hmm. You know, what would be a good experience? Because they knew a little bit about my work history and they knew what I was good at because we'd worked together and, you know, they knew the things that drove me crazy and they, and they could kind of steer me into places that were a good fit for me. Yeah, so absolutely. Perfect advice. I think uh, I was just talking to a client about how networking and building your network is really almost like insurance. Like when you buy insurance, you don't want to use it. You like really, you ho- you buy it hoping you never have to use insurance. Same thing. Like when you're building your network, you don't think my world may come crashing down and I will need to activate this network to like just put my life back together. You don't think that will ever happen to you. And yet, that is the thing that can happen. And if you've been nurturing a relationships with people all along and you've particularly had some diversity, so you're not just like, all I know is teachers. All the teachers have just been laid off. Well, it's gonna be a little hard right. <laughs> to like pick yourself up then. But I, I feel like that. It's, I always think about networking as that insurance policy. But I, I think that people have a hard time knowing kind of where to get started. So I want to go back to this assessment tool. And if you could sure. just walk us through how to draw the diagram because I think it's a good visual and then just like give people some understanding of like how would they use this to start about building their network up. So I usually charge for this information, Robbie. So you kind of put me on the spot here, but that's okay. So here's, here's the the two concepts, right? Here are the two concepts for this um, framework. So the first is network like a champ. And the, The CHAMP model is the five critical connections that you need for your career. And so if you were to think of a a grid, like if you turn your paper sideways so it's in landscape mode and you draw a grid, you're going to have, you know, five lines down. Well, you need six because you need a top row for a header, but five lines down the side, right? So C-H-A-M-P. And the CHAMP network is your customers, people you've hired or helped get a job, an associate or peer network, the people who mentor you and your protégés. And so what I like about this model is, you know, everybody talks about, well, you need a mentor and you need a sponsor, but very few conversations I've been involved in talk about you need to sponsor someone. Mm -hmm. And that's where the higher piece comes in. And, you know, if you're driving or whatever, don't, don't write all this down. I'm going to give Robbie a worksheet on, to put on the site so that he has this for you. So, but going down the side, so it's, again, it's customer constituent. If you're not a customer facing kind of person, like if you're in the government or something, customer or constituent, hire or help get a job. And that means like a real connection, not like you endorse them for PowerPoint on LinkedIn, right? Like real introducing them to a hiring manager kind of stuff. And you basically, you go down and you put like the last person that you had a meaningful connection with in each of those categories. Mm-hmm. And it has to be an actual person's name. Um, you know, not like a category of people, like, you know, whatever. Um, and then once you get that all filled in, if you don't have all those spots filled, the good news is you've got your first action item. <laughs> Go connect with some people in those categories. 
Um, because customers are going to help you see kind of outside your space at, in your workplace or, you know, in your business. Um, if you can hire or help someone get a job, you've just made a friend for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mentors are going to show you kind of where not to step and you're going to be able to pay that forward to your protégés. And then everybody needs an associate relationship where you have somebody that you can just like go have coffee with or maybe something stronger, you know, after work when you've had a rough day and you can kind of sanity check, right? Everybody everybody gets into a position in their career at some point where they think, okay, either I just lost every bit of knowledge I have and I have no idea what I'm doing anymore or I'm in a dysfunctional environment. And having an associate that can kind of help you, like bring you out of that and tell you whether you've lost your mind or <laughs> you're yeah, in a dysfunctional right. environment makes a huge difference. So basically down the left, it'll be C-H-A-M-P. So this is mm-hmm. the network like a champ model. So Correct. that's C-H-A-M-P. And then what, what do we put across the, the top of it? Like what are we measuring besides whether we've talked to these people before? Right. So networking like a champ is about the, the depth of your network. But to understand the breadth, you need to think about what perspectives does your network ignore? So across the top, you're going to write the word ignore, but you're going to spell it with two G's. So it's I-G-G-N-O-R-E. And each of those letters stands for a different dimension of diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to assess the individuals in your champ network to see how different they are from you. Got it. So lots and lots of X's means that you have a really broad reach with people who are vastly different from you in a lot of different ways. And not so many X's means that you tend to stay in a pretty tight comfort zone. So you're actually looking at those five names that you originally wrote down. Who are the most recent people that you've helped in that, those particular ways or connected with in those particular ways? That's interesting. Because in some ways, those are the five people whose names come top of mind. So that is an interesting way to measure, measure. Okay. So what's, what's I just to give an example. Sure. So I is for industry. Ah, yes. So this is interesting because my background is nonprofit. So I can imagine that like even five years ago, everybody in that list would have been nonprofit. I think I've probably got outside of that now, but it's probably now like going to be, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurship <laughs> and nonprofit. Um, so yeah, so it was industry. Well, a lot of times we're thinking about diversity. We're not thinking about industry or, or how old someone is compared to us. Usually diversity, equity, and inclusion is about race and gender and sexual orientation. So I feel like you found a way to help us think about diversity in the true full potential of what that word can mean and then use that as sort of a, I guess, a guide for how we can like, move our way forward. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. And you know, all of the all of the letters stand for something different. So I do get some of those demographic pieces in there. Mm-hmm. And then what I love is when I do this live, like so going back to two things you said. The first is the people that are top of mind. So if you think about like if you're in a big company and you have people who are in executive positions and a project comes up that is high profile, that would be a great opportunity for someone's career, mm-hmm. they're gonna go to those people that are top of mind. Ah, uh, yep. If a new position opens up on their team and they need somebody to fill it quickly, they're going to go to those people that are top of mind. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is that if we can be conscious about who is top of mind for us, our next generation of executives may not all look alike. 
That's interesting. This is a, a really great way for us to tackle a problem that we've all identified. The C-suite is not reflecting the diversity of the people that they serve, the people, the customers that are buying from them. And so, of course, the who you know is such an important aspect of how people do get ahead. And you know, the idea of sponsorship versus mentorship and I feel like this is a what an interesting way to sort of tackle that a little bit. So thank you in advance for sharing a worksheet. I'm excited to sure. give people a link to your book, which we'll have on the show notes as well. So I, I want to understand a little more about how how do you apply networking in your own life? So this is going to be interesting to hear from you because I see that you're very consciously building these different um, patterns for yourself. So I'm sure you're like well aware of it. But how are you thinking about not your closest ties, but like the second and third tier out, the people that you meet at a conference or like you and I, you know, we met through people Mm -hmm. um, through the National Speakers Association. So like, how do you nurture those kinds of sort of looser or weaker connections that you're not, I mean, we're not going to have a project together per se, you know? So what, what are your sort of habits or practices with that? Sure. So I try to figure out what people are into, what they're about, what excites them. And then I sort of tie that that thing to that person in my brain. Mm. And then when I'm out looking, you know, when I'm surfing the web or I'm reading articles on Forbes or I'm on LinkedIn or, you know, I see a video on YouTube that I think they would like, I'll send it to them or I'll tag them. I love tagging. Tagging is like the, the easiest way to reconnect with somebody mm. in a way that's meaningful for them. So, you know, and I, I think I may have done this with you already too, where I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, that'd be perfect for him. And then I put that in, you know, I just tag you in it real quick. Hey, I thought you'd like this. And, you know, it's like a three second thing for me, but it might be meaningful for you. And then if you've forgotten who I am, you have to go look me up. Like, how did she know that I knew that I was interested in this? Uh Right. And so to me, that's a really easy thing. Another thing that I found that I really want to encourage people to do, especially if you're not part of a marginalized community, or not part of a particular marginalized community, because some of us flow in and out of, of privilege or, you know, a lack of privilege, depending on the environment where we are, you know, who we are, who we're with, um, what our space is or how we're being perceived by others. So what I've learned is Twitter is a great place for this. You can follow people who are very different from you, who have very different perspectives And instead of engaging in the conversation, which is what most of us want to do, right? We want to go in and say, well, but not all men and no, but not all white people and no, but that doesn't, that happens to everybody. It's not just you, right? Like we want to go in and like normalize these things, these experiences of others. And what I've found is you can create a tremendous amount of respect between people. If instead of like inserting your own story and telling them why they're wrong, if you just retweet them with no comment whatsoever. And that helps you. So if everybody's connected to people who are just like them, right? Going back to your loose connections and and whatever. So if, so I'm a white woman and if, you know, half of my followers are white women, which they probably are at least half, you know, if I'm retweeting the, the voices of women of color or of, um, you know, trans and non-binary individuals or men of color or people with disabilities, they're probably only getting those tweets because of my feed, right? Mm -hmm. Not because of the other, not everybody, but you know what I mean? Like I can amplify those perspectives in places where they don't get amplified otherwise. Yeah. And that's a very small thing for me to do, but it's a very meaningful thing. 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. It's also, it's a great way to, to like understand sort of what, what is going on in these other communities. I, I really appreciate this in the context of conferences. I, I keep coming back to as a framework because we're all go to conferences. Um, and in fact, I mentioned that you and I know each other th- through the National Speakers Association. And there is a lot of, uh, there are several uh, different community groups that are kind of connected. And one of them is Black NSA. And I have heard time and again that Black NSA is open to all members and they let that be known. And I just think the kind of people who show up to Black NSA who are not Black are the kind of people who are going to expand their network and understand issues and make great relationships just by, like you said, being in the room, by spreading the message, by amplifying those voices. Um, So seeing how can you be invited into those, it feels to me like an opportunity and a privilege to be invited into these spaces because not every space is going to be for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was another conference this, this past week or so, um, Inbound, which is a huge 24,000 person uh, kind of marketing sales conference, it's a little bit of everything. And they have uh, someone accidentally sort of started a movement. Um, he used the hashtag black at inbound. <laughs> Oh, wow. And it took off a couple of years now and it's really grown. And now there's like programming around it and real community has been fostered. And just by tuning in, like you said, to what was going on on that hashtag, um, I was able to amplify their responses to things that are happening in the moment, as well as like sharing my own to the, to the conference hashtag. So what a great idea that we don't always have to know people personally uh, initially, this is a good way in. If you're like, oh, I don't know anyone who's blank, like just look for the opportunities for organized spaces that are inviting people to come in and participate without taking over, which is the challenge I think for a lot of us is to just sort of show up is like really the important part. Yeah. And, you know, if you have questions about things or what's appropriate or what's not, write those down and research them on your own after. Right? Don't stop the conversation that other people are having you know, to accommodate you and, and, and your expectations, you know, there's a whole world of information out there and you can look up why is this a thing or, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, so in the time that we have left, I'd love to, to know, like you talked a little bit about how in your twenties, you really, you didn't have a sense of like how you could be in the world. So if you had the opportunity to, to go back and talk to your, I don't know, 25 year old self, what would be one practice, one piece of advice that you would give yourself to, to build this, you know, robust, strong, diverse professional network? I would say make it about other people. It's not about you. And so I, you know, I had, I had this expectation that, you know, I would show up and I would say, and here's what I need. And people would just jump to help me. And that's not how it works. It's not how it should work, right? You have to be the first one to jump up and help someone else. And it was when I realized that and when I started doing that, started just being there for other people that my career really took off. So if you, if you and I had the opportunity to connect again a year from now, let's say at that conference, and we were talking about all of the successes that you've had this year, I, I want to know, what are we going to be celebrating? We are going to be celebrating Network Beyond Bias becoming a, an actual bestseller in, in terms of sales, right? Like the 35,000 copies sold. Wow worldwide that's what's going to happen that's amazing i i i want to help you do that <laughs> um so actually the best way to help you do that is to help 
my listeners know where to find you and follow your work. So, so what are the best ways people stay connected with you? Sure. So first of all, you'll want to go to the show notes because I'm going to give Robbie the, um, the framework, the network, uh, networking framework, network like a champ and all the instructions. So you're getting like a whole chapter out of the book and it's the money chapter out of the book. And then you'll want to visit me at networkbeyondbias.com. And you can find me anywhere, not anywhere. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter yeah. at Amy C. Wanninger or lead at any level. Fantastic. I will have links to all of that in the show notes, as well as to the assessment tool. I really appreciate it. I, I can't wait to share this with my listeners. Thanks, Amy. appreciate it. Sure thing. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Amy. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 112. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Amy, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.